it's like the glue of your body to make sure that everything functions properly. Your pelvic floor is something that you should be frequently training, whether you're 22, 52 or 82. Regardless where you are in your life, if you're pre or postnatal, if you've never had a baby before, training your pelvic floor is important. And on today's episode with Alison, one of the women's health physiotherapists within the NHS, we talk about everything to do with poos, peas and pelvic floor. I'm Lucy, the founder of Coach Lucy, a community which focuses on health for life and gives it to you in the time it takes to make a cuppa and drink it. Welcome to A Cuppa with the Coach. It's scary to actually realise how many people inappropriately train and how many people inappropriately train their pelvic floor. See the ladies in my age group, we are seeing an increasing number of people coming back with prolapse because of inappropriate abdominal stuff. And also inappropriate abdominal stuff with them having actually no pelvic floor strength. And they didn't know they didn't have pelvic floor strength because they'd been ticking along until that point and it just takes one thing to tip them over the edge. And it's the same with the girls postnatally. So they're doing okay, not get any time to exercise and then they suddenly think, I must do something. So they go out for a run. And they go out for a run without a pelvic floor that's got any strength or endurance and then they start leaking. It's a very embarrassing thing to admit to. Being able to, even just being able to have the forum to talk about how it's pelvic floor issues are a big issue. So if you're leaking a wee bit, don't think you're the only one. So there's a, there's a happy balance somewhere between thinking it's fine to wet your pants because it's not. Yeah. Uh, but also if you are wetting your pants, there's something that can be done about it, but you need to do it appropriately. So what you'll find is either people give up exercising altogether because they don't want to leak or they just really restrict their fluids because the less I drink, the less I'm likely to leak, which is really inappropriate for exercise and especially during pregnancy. So, you know, there's, there, it's never too late or too early to start exercising either during pregnancy or after pregnancy or even way up till you've lost all your hormones that I have. But it's about doing it in a way that's appropriate for you and working around about the problems that you have. Do you know what I mean? 50% of women over 50 have early signs of prolapse. 50%. Now, not all of them will know that they're symptomatic. And that's why I'm saying it usually just takes one thing to tip them into becoming symptomatic. And that could be constipation. So they hurt their back, they take painkillers, they get constipated, and then suddenly they've got a prolapse. And, you know, even for some of the ones, and, and this always struck me as like, that's terribly unfair. So some of my ladies that have had a really high BMI, and then they've lost weight, and then they've started exercising, and you think all the things that they should be doing, and then they become symptomatic of prolapse. And I think it's because they had a much weaker pelvic floor than they knew they had. And then they start loading in a way that they weren't loading before because they're able, you know, like they can walk a distance or they, they can get up off the floor, whereas before they would never have gone down on the floor, you know. And then it's because, as you say, there's different ways to get up and their pelvic floor just can't take whatever it is they've been doing. So, Our pelvic floor, both male and female, are undoubtedly one of the most untalked about parts of our bodies. And it's something that is essential and so, so important. And I don't know if it's just because it's one of those things that it's hidden, you don't really see it, so it doesn't really matter. It's not the same as you can see if someone's totally shredded and have six-pack abs. You can't see if someone has the best pelvic floor in the world. So I feel like this is one of the main reasons why it isn't spoken about and isn't very common in relation to fitness. 
I would probably say that your pelvic floor muscle group is one of the most important muscle groups and one of the least talked about. Unless you're on a night out with friends and you're all having a good laugh and then you all say, I just peed my pants. And that would be the first time that you would admit it. But one in three women leak urine. Naturally, with exercise, there's so much going on in a particular movement that you're focused on keeping a tight core, keeping a strong back, maintaining a good posture, pushing through your heels. There is so much going on and one of the most important things that we use is our breath when we inhale and exhale on the exertion of the movement and that is the primary focus that is the first thing that goes out of the window when you do an exercise. And Ali just explains in this next section how important that is when you are exercising and why you should always incorporate it. So we would say that your pelvic floor is part of your core. That's what we would say. If you talk about your cylinder, so your diaphragm's the top, your pelvic floor is the bottom, your abs are like the label going around the can, if you like, multifidus, the muscle that goes either side of your spine, that's where your abdominal corset also attaches. So if your pelvic floor is weak or if you're using your diaphragm inappropriately and that's very very important because and you always say breathe but a lot of people go and that's where your crossfit people struggle um, is with inappropriate diaphragmatic splinting which creates far too much intra-abdominal pressure and that's when they leak. Somebody holds their breath on the movement then their diaphragm is fixed and the pressure down on their pelvic floor is too great. So there's a certain amount of spontaneous pelvic floor activity. If I sneeze like that, my pelvic floor responds by pulling up because my pelvic floor is healthy. If your pelvic floor is not healthy, then it won't respond, okay? So anytime there's an increase in intra-abdominal pressure, your pelvic floor should be able to respond. But if you've increased, tension you can't get that response so your pelvic floor doesn't have the ability to do what it's naturally programmed to do it goes the other way sometimes we can actually misinterpret what our bodies are genuinely trying to tell us such as it could be a pelvic floor issue that we are having but we think it's a weak bladder we're not actually able to hold our liquids as well as we can but we put that down to a fault of the bladder rather than being a weakness on the pelvic floor thing that will bring people forward is they'll say I don't feel that I've they'll say I've got a weak bladder but they probably don't have a weak bladder they've got a weak pelvic floor so that means if somebody says they've got a weak bladder they maybe don't make it to the toilet in time now that can be because their bladder's misbehaving but the majority of times it's because their pelvic floor is misbehaving it's just not it's not as strong as it should be to hold the weight of a bladder so the bladder when it's full will weigh easily about the size of a can of coke. If you lift a can of coke, it's got, what, 330 mLs in it? So your bladder capacity, when it's absolutely full, is more than that. It's about 400 to 500 mLs on a burstingly full bladder. If you lift up a 500 mL bottle, that's how heavy your bladder would be if you were absolutely bursting and your pelvic floor should have the capacity to hold that. Now, we don't all walk about with a bladder that full all the time. You know, most of us will probably empty it around about 300, 350. The kind of symptoms that people would say to me is, I feel that like I go to the toilet quite often. I don't always make it in time. And when I come in through the door and I put my key in the door, I'm like throwing down my bags, pulling off my coat to try and get there on time. And that these things can be a wee bit of an indication of that pelvic floor is not supporting the bladder when it's at its fullest. There are other issues, which is when the bladder is also misbehaving. But that would be a sign of pelvic floor weakness. Another sign of pelvic floor weakness would be sometimes people say, I feel a bit of a heaviness between my legs. I kind of like almost 
kind of dragging sensation by the end of the day or I finished that exercise class and I kind of thought, I feel like I need to rearrange myself a wee bit. So if somebody's got a prolapse, there are different stages of prolapse. There's a stage one, a stage two, a stage three. You'll know about a stage three. It's peaking out and worse than that, it's coming right down. Some of our podcasts, you might think, God, Lucy, you totally talk a lot of crap. Well, Ali's going to talk a wee bit about your crap to you next. Whereas a stage one, it might just after you've done a poo, you might just feel a wee bit of heaviness. Now, why is it after you've done a poo? Because you've been going like that to do the poo and that increase in intra-abdominal pressure on a weak pelvic floor starts to push your pelvic organs down. But a prolapse, and it might be useful to talk about a prolapse in that everybody assumes a prolapse is when your womb is coming down the vagina, but in actual fact, it can also be a weakness in the vaginal wall at the front and it's your bladder that's coming into the vagina or it can be a weakness of the pelvic floor or the vaginal wall at the back and it's when your bowel kind of bulges in. So often a, a lady who's had a hysterectomy will say to me, I don't understand why I've got a prolapse because I don't have a womb. So obviously if you don't have a womb, it's not your womb that's prolapsing. Probably mm-hmm. what we call a cystocele, which is your bladder or a rectocele, which is the bowel. Actually, just interestingly, if you have any ladies that are come to you post-hysterectomy, again, pelvic floor is really really important for them because they are more susceptible to prolapse having had a hysterectomy yes well so sometimes it's because they've had surgery it's also the type of surgery so they can do a hysterectomy by taking your uterus down and out your vagina now they'll only do that if you're a lady who's maybe had a few children and you've got a slightly lax vagina they wouldn't do that on somebody who'd never had a vaginal delivery or sometimes and most people think about hysterectomy being done abdominally but again they can either do that laparoscopically through the keyhole quite often they now do a laparoscopically assisted vaginal hysterectomy (laughs) do you know what I mean so they don't open people up the way they used to because that's a bigger operation sometimes they have to they're going to take away their ovaries or if there's some suspicion of cancer and they want to do a washout or they have a look but if somebody's having a hysterectomy for prolapse then that's obviously because their their cervix their um, uterus is coming down and they're the ladies that think oh i had my hysterectomy because of my prolapse i'm now sorted but in actual fact if they did a vaginal hysterectomy they've got a maybe a slightly lax vagina Mm-hmm. And a huge number of the ladies, I, don't, I can't remember what percentage of ladies with prolapse have constipation. A Goldilocks poo, you want to do a Goldilocks poo, which is not too hard, not too soft, just right. And that Goldilocks poo is not going to be any effort to get out. Whereas we rabbit pellets will require a bit of a push. So that's all again, back down to the fiber in your diet, the fluid that you're drinking, all part and parcel of why you might wet your pants. I totally love Ali's analogy of the pelvic floor. I think it's super simple but really nice because it really does make you think about actually that is so true of how important our pelvic floor is to us and how much we kind of don't realise it until something goes wrong or we have issues with it. I sometimes call the pelvic floor the Cinderella of all muscles. So she's down in the basement working really hard and nobody even knows, okay? But your pelvic floor has been doing a job for a long time without you even knowing about it. When you were 12 and you were at PE and your teacher threw you a netball, you jumped up to catch it and your pelvic floor joined in to help support the joints, support the organs. And that's really its main job, okay? So your pelvic floor is a whole network of muscles. It 
the deep layer is helping to support your bowel, helping to support your womb, not that you're really using it at 12, and it's also helping to support your bladder. That's the first job, it helps to support the organs. Its next job is to stabilize the joints of the pelvis. So if you think about a pelvis being a bony ring, okay, so it's made of three bones, and then in the middle, you've got that triangle, which is your sacrum. Your pelvic floor helps to stabilize the joints of the pelvis, and normally that pelvis is a bony ring that doesn't move much. What happens during pregnancy is that it does start to move a bit because of the hormones of pregnancy. And that's why we really need you to work your pelvic floor when you're pregnant, because your ligaments are not supporting the joints as well as they did. So helps to hold the organs, helps to support the joints, and it helps to keep you dry. In other words, it supports the opening at the front. It helps you to hold on to your poo until you can get there. In other words, it gives you control at the back and it'll even help you control a fart if you're in a public place and you don't want to embarrass yourself. So if there's dysfunction of the muscles for any of these reasons, that's when a lady might come and say, when I was at my exercise class and I jumped, I had a leak. It's because the muscles were not strong enough to support and it might not be the first jump. So you'll have some patients that will do a certain amount of jumping and then you'll say, now we'll do jumping jacks and they'll look at you like, oh no, I won't, because that's another job. The pelvic floor has to not just support the joints and hold the organs, but then you add in a movement where there's a stretching as the legs go apart and that's just one thing too much. Something that I love is weight training. I love being strong and I love lifting a heavy barbell and I love being able to tell people I can lift over my body weight and I love being able to show my family, like my mum and dad, these videos of me lifting super big weights because it makes me feel really strong. And my mum and dad have always said to me, you need to watch yourself, you'll end up with piles. And that was their kind of joke to me. But the more that I've kind of started to understand the pelvic floor through my own research and my own coursework and even speaking to Ali, during this podcast the more I have actually been like wow yeah I understand why this is the case and why I need to be a little more careful and just a little bit more cautious even at the age of 22 with a really healthy fit body but again not using my pelvic floor appropriately when I'm doing this type of training. If you lift weights, Lucy, you should. We, we actually see people who lift weights. They've never had babies that have got quite significant urinary symptoms. And that's to do with your intra-abdominal pressure, wrong use of diaphragm, and too much bearing down. I think people, well, you know what weights you're lifting. And you're very focused on whether you've got the upper arm or lower limb strength to do that. And you'll be very aware of your protected position in terms of your back, but we forget about the pelvic floor. That's why I'm saying it's the Cinderella of all muscles. Apparently double unders are an absolute killer for people wetting their pants. When you're expecting fast twitch to fire, it will do it. But how long can you go on doing that? You've got muscles that are built for endurance and muscles that are built for speed. For most women, when they cough or sneeze, you're relying on your fast twitch to be able to get in there and give yourself support at the bladder neck when you need it but if you had really rotten hay fever and you were going achoo, 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 you know, for ages you know you might be dry for the first three sneezes but by the time you get to the end of it you don't have that how much should you exercise it's important to see that aspect of both fast twitch and slow twitch and also to look at where your area of weakness might be. So I might have somebody who says I'm fine when I laugh cough or sneeze but if I've been out for a long walk and then I'm 
on my way home and I'm beginning to feel like I maybe need the toilet. In other words, if you think about their bladders filled a wee bit and the load on their pelvic floor is a wee bit more and also their pelvic floor has been working for longer because they've been out and walking. For them, in terms of rehabilitation of their problem, we'd need to work more on slow twitch, more on endurance. Okay, so now we kind of know what the pelvic floor is, what it does, any issues, things that we maybe want to look out for and reasons we want to use it. But how do we actually know when we're working it and how to work it? Can I tell you, I didn't know until I started doing women's health that there are generations of women that know very little about their own anatomy. How they ever conceived children, I don't know. <laughs> Some people even used to tell me that their babies came out their back passage. Now, I know it feels like that, but <laughs> they certainly don't. So I think it would be important to just quickly revise your anatomy. You have a wee hole at the front, and that's the one we pee out of. You have a wee hole at the back, and that's the one we poo out of. And in between, you have a stretchy tube that is your vagina, and that's the one your baby comes down. So if I am sitting doing a wee assessment, with somebody and teaching them how to use their pelvic floor I've got the advantage of a model to show them that but you have your own body and in the privacy of your own home you can either have a look with a mirror to see where these openings are it's not out with your comfort zone I would sometimes get patients and in fact during lockdown this is what I'm having to do only by clearing it with them first if they're happy I would get them just to pop their hand down on top of their pants maybe down the inside of their trousers and on top of their pants and just lay their hand on their perineum that's that area of skin between your legs and just feel what where their pelvic floor sits so just for a laugh Lucy I'm going to stand up and show you that but thankfully nobody else can see this so I would take the heel of my hand and put it on my pubic bone I would aim that middle finger towards my back passage and I'm holding down below where nobody else has any business to touch okay so and then I would get somebody to just relax, just completely relax. And sometimes they'll go, oh, I felt it come down a wee bit. Because just that action of going from sitting to standing, your pelvic floor cuts in to do the jobs that it's meant to do, which is support the organs, support the joints. Your pelvic floor fires a lot more than you realize. I get the patient or the person to completely relax their pelvic floor. If it's a man, I tell them to feel that their scrotum is going to drop. Yes, and there are some men that have continence issues, so we see them too. But if it's a lady, that's much easier. They don't have bits in the way. Then I would get them just to do a cough and they'll feel their pelvic floor comes down a wee bit. So then you know that they know what it feels like when it goes down. To do a pelvic floor contraction, you need to know that it's going up. And that's the bit that's terribly important because you've identified the area and you've identified the action. Because if I'm talking to a group of women and I've done this at ladies groups and women's guilds and things and you see everybody and we're going to do a pelvic floor contraction which always raises a wee bit of a laugh and they go up and down on their cheeks and you see them raising their buttocks, squeezing their thighs, they lift their shoulders, they raise their eyebrows, they lift just about everything else apart from their pelvic floor. So it's really, really important to identify the area and it's really, really important to identify the lift and to identify the let go. Now, if I've got a lady who has a prolapse, which is that bulge a wee bit further down, now there might be a bulge that they can't feel externally. The patient has a prolapse and they've got that heaviness vaginally. Some ladies will describe it as, I kind of feel as if like there's a tampon in, but I know there's not. There's just a feeling of something in my vagina that shouldn't be there. Sometimes these ladies have forgotten that They've forgotten how to do that lift and, and close action. And they're the ones that I would be particularly wanting to know whether they did feel the lift and let go, or if when they did the contraction, they felt the bulge more obvious. Because they're the ladies that are using 
an increase in intra-abdominal pressure and they start to bear down. And so if you give somebody a leaflet and say, go away and do this however many times a day and every time they do it, they're bearing down, they're going to make the problem a whole lot worse. So it's really important that we know that when we're getting somebody to exercise that they're pulling up, they're drawing up and closing the openings and their pelvic floor is lifting internally and then lowering on the release. So that's why, but if we have somebody that comes and they've got dysfunction of any sort, whether it's a urinary problem or a fecal problem or a sexual dysfunction, it's really important that I know their pelvic floor has got the right action because sometimes we're trying to strengthen Sometimes we're trying to get people to relax their pelvic floor. So there are some girls that might have a wee bit of discomfort on intercourse, and that's because they've got hyperactivity, overactivity, an inability to release and relax their pelvic floor. That's very different from prolapse, but it's all part and parcel of understanding how the muscles work. When I know that somebody is pulling their pelvic floor up properly and that they're closing the openings and that they can hold that contraction, I would then get them to relax, release, and let go so that I can assess how well they let go. Once I know that somebody is squeezing, lifting and holding properly, it's how many seconds could they hold that for? How many times could they repeat that before that contraction tires? Say I, and, I, and the way I know whether a pelvic floor is weak, strong, whatever, is um, we do a wee internal examination. We would get the patient to squeeze and lift and we would measure according to a kind of modified Oxford scale, the Oxford scale being. So if a, a muscle can't contract, it's a zero. If it's just a flicker, it's a one. If it's weak, it's a two and so on. So I would do a natural grading on a pelvic floor to find out whether it, it could contract, whether it could release. When it contracts, how strong it is. It's quite a subjective measurement. It's based on experience, but there are other sorts of um, modalities that you can use to measure pelvic floor strength, but that would be a basic one. Lucy comes in to see me. She tells me that she's got a bit of weakness. I do an assessment and I say to squeeze, lift and hold. Can you hold that for 10 seconds? And see around about eight seconds, I feel the muscles are going, uh, can only hold for eight. If you can only hold for eight, there's no point in me sending you away to say, now just hold for five seconds, that'll be fine. Because you can hold for eight. And if you don't hold for eight, you're going to get weaker. But if I said to you, hold for 10, and you were struggling to get it up for 10, and you started to use your glutes and your adductors and everything to get that 10, that's not a pure pelvic floor contraction, so 10's too much. This is a very basic explanation. Sorry, Lucy, but does it make sense? So what I would ask somebody to do is to find their starting block. So Lucy can hold for eight seconds on assessment. By the time she'd done that about eight, nine times, I know that her muscle contraction is less efficient. She's not working well beyond nine repeats. So you're going to go away and you're going to do nine repeats of an eight second hold, having a wee five second rest between each contraction. And I want you to go away and do that somewhere in the region of three or four times a day. So the latest research that was done on pelvic floor exercise said that there needs to be at least three interventions in the day with your pelvic floor to make any difference. If you do one set of exercises a day, it'll do diddly squat. If you do it twice a day, you'll maybe maintain what you currently have. Well, that's no good if you're weak. You want to be stronger. So you need to do a minimum of three sets a day. We can get a girl into a nice wee routine of doing it, a minimum of three sets a day. Then they'll start to strengthen their pelvic floor, but it'll take months. 
It'll take a good three months, three to six months, to get a pelvic floor really strong, but you have to progress the program as they are able to increase their hold, increase their reps. And then you would progress from doing it in sitting to doing it in standing, and then you would maybe do it dynamically because they're more likely to have their accident when they're on their feet rather than when they're sitting and so on. So there, there is a progression, but you need to establish that the person can do it, that they're holding it for their maximum time and that they're doing the maximum number of repeats that they can and that they don't overwork. So some people overwork their pelvic floor and then they end up fatigued and then by the end of the day they're leaking or they've got vaginal heaviness because they've overworked in the earlier part of the day. It's about knowing what they're able to do and then building on that. It isn't uncommon to have these issues but what you need to decide is if you want to keep these issues or if you want to get them checked out. And if somebody feels that they aren't they have a bit of a problem. Now, it's as I said, it's not uncommon to have a wee bit of leakage during a pregnancy. Sometimes people might have a wee bit of leakage afterwards, especially when they start exercising a wee bit more. That can maybe be a wee indi- indication that you're doing a wee bit too much too soon if you start to have either pelvic pain or urinary symptoms after you start exercising. I'm not saying it's an indication that you should stop exercising. It means you just need to modify your program a wee bit. Don't think, oh no, I'm always going to have leaking and dribbling. I think one of our concerns as women's health physios is there's a lot of publicity now about tenopads, we oops moments. I think some of the advertising is a wee bit misleading in that it says, oh, it's part and parcel of having had a baby is that you're going to leak. Um, I think, first of all, I would say if you're having a wee leak, are you overloading your pelvic floor before it's strong enough to do what you're asking it to do? Needing to wear tennis mm, means that you're maybe not going to run in mum's race, you're maybe not going to jump on a trampoline with your children if you just say, I'll just wear a pad. You know better than most, Lucy, that if you exercise a muscle, it strengthens. And I think the big problem with pelvic floor exercises is not that they don't work. It's just there's issues around about compliance for lots of reasons. And often it's because you're tired or you mean to, but you forget. I know when I was trying to get a bit fitter and it was part and parcel of also trying to lose weight because I knew I wasn't doing well. It was going to your class and going three times a week and keeping up with that consistency that made the difference. So if we can try and encourage people to be consistent with their pelvic floor, it makes a massive difference. There's a, a wee app that you can download called NHS Squeezy. It's a really good app. I've had a lot of girls that have said it's made the difference for them because you have a bit of a baby brain. Once you've had a baby, you mean to do something and then you forget to or you get distracted. So that will just send you a wee reminder on your, your mobile. And you can preset that, put in your starting block. So when I was talking about a lot of the, the booklets that you'll read, is it will say build up to doing 10 repeats of 10. Well, not everybody can do 10 repeats of 10. So you do what you can do and uh, you work away on that for a wee while until you feel more able to do more. And you can just adapt what you put into your app send you a wee reminder it's even got a like a little thing on the screen that counts out the number of seconds you're holding for and the number of seconds you rest for and the number of seconds you hold for and the number of seconds you rest for and uh, that's a good way of just click i've done it and by the time you go to bed at night you know you've logged you've done it three times great done what i've done Nowadays, as we have loads more extra technology, we start to bring extra gadgets and things like that. They come on the scene. We've seen a lot of that in terms of pelvic floor kind of gadget that you're able to work your pelvic floor using these devices from an app via your phone. And I thought that was really important to ask Ali 
to see her thoughts on it and see if they use anything like that in the NHS? Um, again, it's all down to your technique. If your technique is correct and it takes a game to make you do it, then fine. I mean, in our department, we have lots of electrotherapy techniques and we've brought out all sorts of really interesting programmes. Interestingly, some of them are paediatric programmes. They're the ones that I find the most fun. You have to climb up the tree. You're a wee monkey. You have to climb up the tree, pick a banana, bring it back down and put it in the basket. And you do that with your pelvic floor. I'm not going into all the details of how they work that out. So with small children, some children have problems with defecation. There's quite a lot of children have issues with constipation. And sometimes that can be around about their pelvic floor being too held. Maybe if they've found it a wee sore to do a poo and they've maybe got a wee thing called a fissure and they hold on to their poo and they don't want to let go. There's a lot of down training with a pelvic floor that you would do with children and if a monkey going up and down a tree putting a banana in a basket is what does it then perfect. That might not apply for everyone. I have myself taken a caterpillar up and down various places, all sorts of things. Some of these types of these types of things would involve a wee internal electrode. There's a lot of gadgets out there. There's a lot of muscle stim units. There's some muscle stimulation that you electrically initiate a contraction with your pelvic floor and again if I've got somebody who's incredibly weak cannot initiate their pelvic floor only has a flicker of a contraction doesn't have endurance all of these things have a place but it's all down to being properly assessed I would say before I could say what's the right thing to use for everybody we use biofeedback quite a lot so we would preset a threshold that we would try and get somebody to achieve and then they would go away and work with a wee unit that they have to get the lights from the orange up to the green. That's just a very basic one that the NHS provides. Nothing more exciting than that. Just like all the topics that we cover on our podcast, I think one of the things that is highlighted the most is to talk. It's to talk about maybe issues that you're having or concerns that you have. Talking to friends and talking to your GP and health specialists around you because that is why they are there. Yeah, there's there are lots of different things out there. I think that's the thing. I think until you've been able to voice that you've got a problem, you don't know what help is out there. I think if we just remember that one in three women have urinary leakage, that would maybe make you feel a wee bit better if you did wet your pants. It's it's not the kind of thing that you would normally sit down and chat to your friends about. Although I think people are a wee bit more open to talk about it. But I bet your gran and my gran never did. They, they never talked about these things. Generations are changing. Yeah, and I think your e-health stuff has made a difference we can do stuff with our pelvic floor to make it stronger. And if we don't, then do you know what? It's going to get weaker. It is fascinating, actually. Nobody's going to give you a new pelvic floor for your 40th birthday. That's the sad thing. Uh, you'll still have the same pelvic floor when you're my age. And, and uh, you need to look after it just like you need to look after every other muscle group. And it is part of your core. So when you're doing all the other Lucy stuff, pelvic floor will kick in, hopefully. Sometimes it doesn't kick in unless you actually engage it. Caffeinated drinks, coffee, tea and fizzy juices like your Red Bull and things like that, they have such a big impact on your body, not even just in terms of your sleep and alertness, they have an impact within on your bladder control too. So not great for sleeping, but what it will do is it'll give you a wee bit of urinary frequency because it'll make their bladder a wee bit more active, as in your bladder will be a wee bit more stimulated and it will give you a wee bit of frequency and a wee bit of urgency. In other words, you'll probably end up going to the toilet more and you'll go with a bit more urgency, which will then make you think, oh, I better go to the toilet just in case. And then a lot of girls start this whole just in case thing, which means that they don't make their bladder hold what it should. And that in turn makes your pelvic floor weak because it's not holding the weight that it was designed to hold yeah and the same thing with with the guys with the lifting heavy weights and constipation 
that can lead to a wee bit of urinary incontinence because you're straining and weakening the pelvic floor. You can also have problems with erectile dysfunction. And so doing pelvic floor exercises for men is just as important. But your pelvic floor is really part and parcel of what goes on during your times of intimacy. So your pelvic floor becomes um, much more responsive when you're more active. And I think there are definite times in life when you're less active in that department. And that coincides with the times when I see a lot of my patients, which is post-baby, too tired or for whatever reason, and post-menopausal. So pelvic floor doesn't get the workout that it used to get. And that in itself makes it weaker. But again, there are other issues and these are much more sensitive to talk about. And I'm sure the majority of your girls with this issue would not bring it up in a conversation these are the ones that would be probably best to see somebody professionally about and that would be pain on intercourse some of the issues related to that and we don't understand that that can come from a pelvic floor problem I, I listened to a really interesting thing about skaters who had repeated falls on ice somebody who's had a coccyx injury people who've come off horses a lot of these pelvic joint injuries can kind of switch off pelvic floor or cause damage to nerves, cycling injuries from long periods of time in a saddle. Like some of these Tour de France people end up with neuropathies and things from badly fitted saddles to their perineum. It's There's a whole lot on the pelvic floor. Um, we've just touched the tip of the iceberg, my dear. <laughs> If your issues are ongoing, then don't hesitate to go to your GP and get a referral to a women's health physio for a proper assessment. We're not just about telling you to pull in your tummy and stand straight. Uh, there's a lot more goes under your pants that might need specialist assessment. Hopefully we would be able to help you if you hadn't thought that it was a problem before or it was a problem that you thought it was only you and not somebody else, then could well be that there's something that we could, be, that we could do to help. It's like any other form of exercise. Lucy, after all these years of knowing about exercise, it took going to five weeks to fit for me to switch the light bulb on and go, oh, you know what? This works if I do it three times a week. <laughs> Please don't hover above a toilet seat, even if it looks manky. Um, you really need to sit down on the toilet seat so that your pelvic floor will relax so that your bladder will empty properly. There you go. That tip was for free. <laughs> Honestly, the first thing I did after I recorded this podcast with Ali was I went to Tesco and I bought myself a poo stool. Yes, I went and got myself one of them and I recommend that you do too. They're only like £4 and it's a total game changer. Toilet position. So toilet position is massive for all women. But I try and get my girls when they're pregnant to understand that and then I'll say this is kind of for life. It's not just because you've had a baby, but now that you know this is a more efficient way to poo, why would you just not always do that? But in actual fact, that is a, a it's an absolute game changer for people who have difficulty with defecation. So if you're tense, you're not going to poo properly. And then you'll have to use a wee bit of your abs to try and push the poo down. If they go into the position where their feet are upper in a footstool, their knees are higher than their hips, there's the optimal 35 degree angle, but it doesn't matter, just as long as your feet are up. Not on your tiptoes, but your feet. Feet up on the wee footstool, then they lean forward and they relax their abs. So you're not using your abs to push your poo out. You're actually allowing your pelvic floor to do the absolute opposite from what everybody thinks, and that is to let go and relax. Thank you so much for listening to our third episode of A Cover With The Coach. Again, a huge thank you to Alison for coming on and just letting me pick her brain about the pelvic floor and pre and postnatal health. That will be coming up in our second episode. Alison has worked as a women's health physiotherapist for over 30 years now and it was a total pleasure to be able to have her come on and speak to you guys about some of the topics that we discussed 
during this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you have something to take away from it. If you are learning about your pelvic floor yourself or this is something that you can use for your own clients if you're a trainer or a coach too. I'm Lucy, the founder of Coach Lucy and this has been A Couple with a Coach.